Hello and welcome to Epicenter. My name is Camilla Foy and today I will be talking about the history of epilepsy. You might be wondering, why am I covering the history of epilepsy? One of the goals of this podcast is to raise awareness to epilepsy and educate people about it. So why am I focusing on the past instead of the present? It is because in order to understand the present, we must understand the past. When I first found out about epilepsy, I had many misconceptions on the disorder. One of them was that epilepsy was relevantly new, something that was probably around for a couple centuries at most, maybe a little older. If you were like me, you'd probably be surprised to hear that epilepsy is actually an ancient disease, having existed throughout human history. Of course, it wasn't always as accurately depicted as it is today, as most people then thought epilepsy was demons possessing human bodies. Regardless, it existed. It is believed that epilepsy may date back to the late Paleolithic period. The first detailed account of a seizure is from a 4,000-year-old Akkadian tablet found in ancient Mesopotamia. This was the earliest description of a seizure, describing that the person's neck was turned, arms and legs tense, eyes wide open, frothing at the mouth, with the loss of consciousness. This is what we would consider a focal unaware seizure today. Back then, People would refer to epilepsy as antasubu, translating to the falling disease. The oldest depiction of epilepsy was written 3,000 years ago in one of the oldest Babylonian medical texts, the Sakiku. This tablet contains depictions of what we would consider today as focal onset, tonic, and absent seizures. They also contain descriptions of prodromal symptoms, auras, postictal phenomena, interictal emotional disturbances, and seizure precipitants. Of course, this was all described using the terminology of the time. The Babylonians used the words miktu, which means the falling disease, siptu, meaning possession, and sabatu, meaning to seize or to possess. This reflects how back in the Mesopotamian times, it was believed that epilepsy was when one's body was possessed by an evil spirit. The treatment often involved intervention. The ancient Egyptians also had records of epilepsy. The Edwin Smith Surgical Papyrus, which was written around 1700 BC, described several accounts of epilepsy. There was one case in particular that piqued the interests of scientists and historians. The man had a severe wound in his head, and when it was examined, he would shudder exceedingly. The Egyptians were the first to prove that epilepsy had causes other than spirits and gods. The Chinese also documented epilepsy cases around 770 to 221 BC. The Yellow Emperor's classic of internal medicine outlined generalized seizures. In 610 AD, a Chinese physician and medical author, Gao Yangfang, was thought to have classified and categorized epilepsy. The traditional Chinese treatment of epilepsy consisted of herbs, massage, and acupuncture. It was the Greeks that began to describe epilepsy in a more scientific sense. In the 5th century BC, the school of Hippocrates hypothesized that the brain was the cause of epilepsy. They called epilepsy the sacred disease, because even though it was no better than any other disease, it was sacred due to its unique and inexplicable appearance. Hippocrates believed that epilepsy was curable, like every other disease, but once it was chronic, it could no longer be cured. He was also the first to introduce the idea of post-traumatic epilepsy, 
which is epilepsy that persists after brain trauma. The accounts of epilepsy from the Greeks were similar to what we describe epilepsy as today. The descriptions varied on the type of epilepsy, but the most common description was falling to the ground, unconsciousness, insensibility to pain, and no recollection of the seizure. The Greeks had vivid, detailed-filled descriptions of seizures, allowing us to have a glimpse into what epilepsy was like in the past. Eredius of Cappadocia is thought to be the first to describe an aura in relation to epilepsy. He described it as luminous circles of diverse color, ears ringing, smell of bad odors, tremors, and sensations of the hand or feet occurring before the seizure began. If no convulsions occurred, the patient would often lay motionless and pale in a deep sleep, similar to apoplexy. This description had been combined from the anonymous Perisnius, Caelius Aurelianus, and Galen's observations, written in the 1st century AD, 5th century AD, and 129 to 201 AD, respectively. These led him to categorize epilepsy as being idiopathic, originating from the brain. He later coined the term aura, which means a breeze in Greek. This term was used because one of his patients described his aura symptoms like a breeze moving from his legs to his head. The Middle Ages, which lasted from around 476 to 1492 AD, caused a setback in the scientific development of epilepsy. Because the Middle Ages heavily emphasized the ideas of demonic possession, it was thought once more that epilepsy was the result of just that. Literature of the time called epilepsy a falling evil, demon, or lunacy. The descriptions of epilepsy became vaguer, causing confusion between epilepsy and mental disorders of the time. There was still hope for development, though, in the Middle East. The Middle East is known for their mathematical and scientific achievements, and the field of epileptology was no exception to their knowledge. A Persian physician, who was commonly known as Avicenna, made contributions to epilepsy research in his book Al-Kanun Fialtib, translating to The Canon of Medicine. He believed that the manifestation of a seizure associated with its origin, such as the brain, stomach, spleen, the marak, which was defined as a membranous structure in the abdomen and the whole body. He also said that epilepsy could be related to a specific humor. This meant that seizures presented changes with the temperament of the person. He thought that strong anxiety, distraction, or other emotion could cause psychoneurological malfunctions prior to seizures. The Renaissance opened a can of worms when it came to the development of the definition of epilepsy. At this time, it was discovered that seizures were a side effect to certain diseases, such as syphilis, scurvy, smallpox, and measles. This new information developed the concept of symptomatic epilepsy, where seizures were a symptom rather than the disease itself. Renaissance thinkers also questioned the relationship between epilepsy and vertigo, as doctors of the time were not always able to differentiate the two. There was also confusion between hysterical and epileptic attacks. These new questions brought about new definitions for epilepsy, and a new view of what it could look like. Convulsions could be visible in one half of the body, slight movements, states of confusion, laughter, or change in expression were all considered to be epilepsy at that time. 
it is thought that this was where the idea of focality was recognized in medicine. Hippocrates' idea of epilepsy being a brain disorder finally gained traction in Europe around the beginning of the 17th century. A Swiss physician, Samuel Tussaud, published Traité de l'Epilepsie in 1770. A decade later, he published a four-volume text called Traité de Neur et de leur Maladie, which secured his position as a prominent medical figure in the Enlightenment period. William Cullen, a Scottish physician, recognized that seizures could occur in parts of the body and did not always involve a loss of consciousness. Gerard van Swieten described in detail the characteristics of different types of seizures and explained the symptoms. Samuel Tissot wrote what is thought to be the first modern book on epilepsy, introducing some of the terms we know today. The 19th century led to reforms and attitudes towards epilepsy. Patients were oftentimes put in asylums because seizures often mimicked the behavior of the insane. Coming into this era, they were separated from criminals and the insane in asylums, and the development of colonies and hospitals to care for these patients began development in Europe and America. This permitted clinicians to observe people with epilepsy and create a new lexicon to describe seizures. Jean-Étienne Dominique Esquirol said that seizures would alternate in intensity. There were severe, le grand, and slight attacks, le petit mal, though his definition of the terms were vague. Louis Florentine Camiel familiarized the term absence, describing it as a state of mental confusion with no physical symptoms, differentiating this from the petit mal. More familiar terms were being coined during this time, creating more specific terminology. The field of neurology and epileptology was beginning to establish itself around the time of John Hewlings Jackson, who lived from 1835 to 1911. Jackson combined all the ideas and pieces of information gathered on epilepsy over the years, adding his own ideas, and made his mark in history. The creation of the EEG in the late 19th and early 20th century increased the understanding of epilepsy profoundly, allowing for more accurate clinical descriptions of the disorder. Frederick Andrew Gibbs, Erna Leonhard Gibbs, and William Lennox distinguished different EEG patterns for three major types of seizures. This included the petit mal, which is more commonly known as absent seizures, grand mal, which is known as generalized tonic-clonic seizures, and psychomotor seizures, which are now known as focal seizures arising from the temporal lobe. The invention of the EEG allowed a clinician to diagnose a type of seizure or epilepsy without actually having to observe a seizure in the patient. Finally, in 1964, the International League Against Epilepsy, led by Gustave, developed a classification system of seizures. This system has been updated along the years, leading to our latest classification of the epilepsies from 2017. From ancient to modern times, people with epilepsy have been subject to a lot of discrimination. Until the mid-20th century, in the United States, many states banned people with epilepsy from getting married. And during the wave of sterilizing unhealthy beings, epileptics were encouraged to become sterilized. Many public places had the right to deny service to people with epilepsy until the 70s. These laws only increased the stigma associated with epilepsy. Even now, in developing countries, 
epilepsy is still viewed as the result of evil or ancestral spirits. Stigma is still very real in today's society, but back in the 20th century, it was even worse. In the late 20th century, several international societies were formed to promote the scientific and social knowledge of epilepsy. In 1997, the International League Against Epilepsy, the International Bureau of Epilepsy, and the World Health Organization focused their objectives on addressing political and public awareness of epilepsy. After this walk through history, you're probably starting to understand why I am focusing on the history of epilepsy. If not, let me outline it for you. Epilepsy has been around for thousands of years, since ancient times. Yet, there is still so little known about it. There are many misconceptions around the disorder, stigma surrounding epilepsy, and doctors are still trying to find effective treatments and even causes to epilepsy. So much is unknown after all this time and knowledge collected on epilepsy. This is why it is important to find cures and educate people more about epilepsy. It has been around for a long time, and there were people who had to suffer because of the little knowledge on the disorder. Now that we have technology and understanding of the disorder, there is still little being done. And there is not enough people who know about the disorder to understand the struggles of people with epilepsy. Let me read you an excerpt from the history of epilepsy, from ancient mystery to modern misconception, by a team of scientists from the University of Texas's Science Center. Modern-day patients with epilepsy often face civil rights violations. One example is the unequal access to health and life insurance they may encounter. Another is how people with epilepsy often are discriminated against by employers, frequently causing them to choose a different occupation altogether. This is often seen in hands-on professions, such as firefighters or construction workers, despite the fact that accommodations from employers should be available under the Americans with Disabilities Act. An epilepsy diagnosis can impact employment options and the number of employers which will hire them, even when the individual is fully capable of the job. People with epilepsy are often dissuaded from pursuing certain professions because of the speculated consequences of epilepsy. Several countries in Europe still have job restrictions based on a diagnosis of epilepsy, despite many worldwide reports on low accident rates in people with epilepsy. These civil rights violations extend to their autonomy, resulting in limitations in legal agreements, such as marriage, in some countries. Until the passage of the Affordable Care Act, many health insurance companies in the United States could deny coverage based on pre-existing conditions, and in 2005, as many as 36% of people diagnosed with epilepsy were refused one or more types of insurance because of their epilepsy. People with epilepsy can be subjected to social ostracism, both directly and indirectly. There is a growing body of evidence that a strong social support system is directly correlated with well-being. According to the Epilepsy Foundation, parents often felt that their journey after their child's diagnosis was a challenging to navigate. Citing difficulties in seeing a specialist, financial strain due to medical care, and lack of opportunities for their children due to challenging behavior. Often, those with epilepsy tend to be more isolated than those without, resulting in diminished well-being. Even as early as childhood, people with epilepsy begin showing signs of social issues, stemming from lack of inclusion. 
This social isolation after a childhood diagnosis can negatively impact self-esteem and academic performance. An example of how those with epilepsy become unintentionally isolated is how social gatherings require transportation, and in areas where public transportation is limited, patients with epilepsy can be excluded socially due to their ineligibility to obtain a driving license. There is evidence that people with epilepsy suffer from higher rates of depression, anxiety, psychosis, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD, than the general population, indicating that this disconnect from society can lead to harmful downstream effects. According to a longitudinal study by Berg et al., seizure course, akin to severity of seizure examine from childhood to young adulthood, influence completion of college, employment, and driving, which further impacts employment opportunities. This may cause socioeconomic impact due to a combination of diminished access to the job market and, in the United States of America, lack of health insurance due to joblessness. Due to the increased risk of mental health conditions compounded with the issues discussed above, those with epilepsy were more likely to have a lower annual income and were more likely to be unemployed. The more direct effects of ostracism can be seen in developing countries, where there are commonly held misconceptions that epilepsy is contagious. Some believe contact with saliva or the person during a seizure can cause transmission. This leads to social isolation and further abandonment during a seizure, which increases the likelihood of a seizure-related injury. Societal knowledge and perception of epilepsy have been directly correlated to the successful treatment of epilepsy. Hirfangulo et al. found a correlation between familial understanding of the disease after their child's diagnosis and fewer depressive symptoms and the better use of anti-epileptic drugs. A similar effect was observed in urban secondary schools in northern India, where the more knowledgeable students were about epilepsy, the less discrimination students with this condition face. These studies, and beyond, indicate that the more that is known about epilepsy and what causes it, the better patients with the disease are incorporated into society and outcomes and seizure management improve. In essence, the more that is understood about epilepsy by the public, the better the lives are for people with epilepsy. This is happening today in our society. So even though the perceptions and medical definition of epilepsy might have changed over the years, the misconception of the disorder among the public has remained the same. I don't have epilepsy, so I can never fully understand the struggles of people living with it. But I can say that I will try to educate myself more on the disorder and understand it as much as possible to help those living with epilepsy. You don't need to have a connection with epilepsy to help spread awareness. All you need is the curiosity to learn, the interest to pursue it, and the courage to speak out.